This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero in St Heliers. Head along to 59 Long Drive in St Heliers, Auckland to try some of the best takeaway in the world. Mention the podcast and receive a 10% discount. It is Friday, the 11th of October 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 61 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to do something a little bit different, a little bit off-piste. It is still going to be business-focused, but maybe not directly stock market-focused, although the subject of the conversation has been involved in the stock market in the past as well, and in quite a big way. But as you've no doubt heard me say in the past, I think you know the, the stock, stock market and business should be viewed as one and the same anyway. So in this episode, we're going to talk about probably New Zealand's most successful business person, that is Graham Hart. We're going to specifically focus on a great speech that Hart did for the Otago University that is on YouTube. I'll post the link in the job notes so you can find it later. And we will focus on this because there's not actually that much publicly available information on him. I, I cannot find much in the way of evidence of interviews or books or any other information. Um, and every time you hear him mentioned in the media, he's described as private and blah, 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 blah. So before I start, Graham, Graham Hart would be a, a dream podcast guest. So if you know Graham or if you are Graham and you're listening to the podcast, please f- feel free to reach out. Um, and actually, you do not live far away from the greatest pizza shop in New Zealand, so feel free to swing, swing on by for some pizza as well. So just the numbers alone are are quite impressive when you look at Graham Hart. So according to Forbes, he is the 158th richest person in the world, which is quite high when you look at a global population of 7 billion. So Forbes estimate his real-time net worth to be 9.2 billion. I'm not sure if that's in US dollars or not. I'm I'm assuming it is. I'm not sure how Forbes came up with this number. They did not seem to disclose the methodology. I guess they're just relying on piecing together what publicly available information there is. But the point to get across is that he's been stunningly successful. The most impressive thing for me is that I would say that he's almost entirely self-made. I mean, obviously, he was equipped with the personality type that is well-suited to what he does, and and not everyone is, but it's not like he's inherited a huge fortune through luck of the draw, he's just landed on his feet somewhere and sitting on it. I would say what he has achieved, you know, what he has achieved through a combination of hard work, focus, being very talented. Don't underestimate this. A lot of people try what he has done and and fail miserably, so I'll I'll talk more about this later. And he no doubt would have taken some big and calculated risks along the way. Wikipedia has a bit of information about him. Um, it's like everything else though, it's it's pieced together from what's said elsewhere and there's not much said elsewhere. It starts off with what everybody says. You know he left school at age of 16 and drove a truck for Carters, blah blah blah. He must be sick of hearing that because I think it underlies how little people understand about what he does. Um, I, I, I do not pretend to have a crystal ball or special understanding of it or anything like that but to, to really simplify what he has done, he has started off in business at a very young age and reinvested the profits from business into bigger businesses and then borrowed money and bought even bigger businesses and so on. And he's been successful in most of those along the way. So Forbes has said that he's amassed a packaging empire using leverage buyouts, which is another way of saying he has used debt to buy companies. And a lot of people sort of sniff their noses at this. They almost see it as some sort of cheating or, or big risk-taking. But if you listen to this podcast and you've ever thought of or bought a house, then chances are you've used debt to do it too. So 
maybe you need to get off your high horse. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm getting off track. So the Otago University has published on YouTube a speech you did to graduates, which is awesome viewing. Uh, like I said, I'll post the link in, sh- in the show notes. You can probably skip through the first seven minutes when he's getting introduced or so, but if you're anything like me, you'll, you'll watch it anyway. So I'll, I'll go through this and, and pick up what I think are the most interesting takeaways from it. He's the sort of guy that based on his successes and the fact that he doesn't speak much means that when he does, you should sit up and take notice. So it certainly is worth watching. So a lot of the quotes I've said in here, I've, I've, I've you know, sort of transcribed them myself. So there may be some inaccuracies in what I'm saying, but I'll try to say when I'm quoting him directly or when I'm summarising what he is saying. Um, and I've, I've done my best to be as accurate as possible. He starts off his presentation with a visualisation of a staircase, with a staircase being a career and a working career or a business lifetime and that you're starting off at the bottom of the staircase and you've got to work your way up the staircase, whatever that staircase might be for you. It's obviously a different staircase for him as it is to me as it is, as it is to someone else. And he's and I'm quoting here, the cumulative output of those steps, the investment decisions that you make each time you step up, the opportunity costs that you incur when you make a suboptimal decision, they all combine to give you an end result at the end of your 40-year career. It's about realising your full potential, no more or less than that. So I would 100% agree with the statement. It is probably something that I wish, I guess, I realised earlier on in my life, but it's better late than never. Maybe I would have made some better choices. Um, it goes back to what I've said in the past about stock market investing, that it's about compounding knowledge and making sure that you're learning the right things. It, it's not like other t- activities. And in investing and in business, I think you actually probably should get better with age in this because you've got that cumulative knowledge from the staircase that he refers to. So he talks about having four legs, four solid legs of the stool that he bases what he does off. So he says leg one, and I'm summarising what he said here, passion. You have to get up every day and love what you're doing. Focus. You must have goals, you must have timelines, they have to be quantified, and you must hold yourself accountable. So by quantified, he means measured. So you have to be able to measure your goals and you have to hold yourself to them. Determination. He says, this is hard, really hard. You have tough times and that is when you dig deep. And I'm quoting directly here. Be intense, be obsessive and never waver. Self-awareness. And that determination, and I'll mention it later on, it really comes through in the way he speaks. You can just tell by listening to him that he's a very determined guy. Self-awareness. Know yourself. <coughs> excuse me. Know yourself well, understand your strengths and play to them, understand your weaknesses. A lot of what he is saying here is similar to what you hear a lot of successful people say. It is, it is quite similar actually and you, and you might laugh but it, <laughs> it's really similar to what Arnold Schwarzenegger says if you, if you listen into some of his speeches and things like that and Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously someone that you could, you know, monetary wise he's not been as successful as Graham Hart but you could say Arnold Schwarzenegger has been very very successful in three careers now so always be straightforward in your dealings do what you say you're going to do and guard your reputation jealously years to gain minutes to lose and I'm quoting directly when I first moved to the UK I stayed with a family that looked after the local cricket club they were quite successful with the father having (coughs) excuse me run a large UK beer manufacturer and one of the things he used to say is that you'll be quite successful in your career if you just do what you say you're going to do and nothing more. And when you think about it, it sounds quite basic, but it is true. I mean, how many times in your day-to-day life do you hear people 
say they're going to do something and, and then never do it. And I'd apply that to myself as well. All the stuff I say I'm going to do and never get around to, it's quite unreal. And what he says about reputation is, is right out of the Warren Buffett playbook, who has been quoted as saying, it takes 20 years to build reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about, if you think about it this way, you'll do things differently. I'm quoting directly here from Graham Hart again. Develop your interpersonal skills. You're going to spend your whole life trying to persuade people to follow you, to buy from you, to work with you, to be alongside you as a colleague. Put real effort into this. And he doesn't address it specifically, but it's a sort of a theme through this whole presentation is that there's a few times he sort of alludes to his team. And my my suggestion is, is that he's probably built a good tight-knit long-term team that he can trust with I guess acting for him and, and, and everything like that in certain situations so he doesn't need to be everywhere at once that's that's my bet I, I could be wrong but that, that's the assumption I'm making and I'm quoting directly here again be bold be thoughtful take risks be opportunistic and build great teams there's the teams again you will amount to the people around you and this and, and after this, he gets into his career, which is, is quite interesting. So that be bold, be thoughtful, take risk. So be bold and take risk, obviously, you know, to get to his level of success, you're going to have to take some risk at some point. Be thoughtful. So I guess that means be thoughtful about the risk um, that you're taking, not just going in blind and taking random risks everywhere. And you'd apply that to the stock market as well. Some of the stuff I see people investing in, they don't actually have any understanding of, you know, you wouldn't call that thoughtful investing. Um, and build great teams. Be opportunistic, that's an interesting one. Um, I, you, you, again, you're going to get the biggest successes when you are, are able to be opportunistic. It's the be fearful when others are a greedy and be greedy when others are fear, fearful type thing. So, you know, if you apply that to the stock market, you know, you could, you could argue that there was opportunistic purchases during the financial crisis and you would have made a lot of money from that. So he gets into his career. He, his career started when he was 15. He left school with, without a cent and he, he acknowledges the, the, tow, the tow truck thing. He goes, yeah, you were right. I drove tow trucks. I bought a carrying business and I swapped that for a printing business. And this goes back to what I said before, entirely self-made. It's amazing. I mean, how many businesses start at this sort of level and, and, and just amount to nothing? Well, not necessarily nothing. They provide a good a good wage to their owner and everything like that. But the it, it shows that you know at 15 years old, he was already on the staircase learning those lessons. Um, and, he, and, he, and he alludes to that. He says, early lessons matter. Remember the staircase. The lessons you go on and get in the next short while, that's money in the bank for 40 years. The best lessons you get are in year one, not year 39. And he's lucky enough that his year one was when he was 15 years old. I mean, he may, he may not have realised it at the time, but he was... He, he was learning at that age. And this is exactly what I said before about the compounding knowledge. So now he really gets into the meat of his career. My first endeavour of any note was the party hire business. I quickly learnt that buying competitors down the road was a very good idea. I didn't know anything about this. The two charming ladies came to me and said, would you like to buy my business? Well, of course I will. So what I learnt was that when I combined them, I took out some fixed costs. I didn't know what they were until I later came to Otago and learned that these were synergies. I learned that I could charge more for the rental because they weren't up the road discounting and I gained a thing called pricing power. I learned that when I did my MBA. It's not so cool with the Commerce Commission.
<clears throat> obviously a little bit of a, a a joke there at the end. Now, interesting, this this party hire business, so that's what he did his thesis on at Otago University. And I have found it online in the past that you know, and, and, and I've read through it. It's quite interesting. So what I might do is I'll I'll dig that one out and I'll see if I can get into the show notes as well. And I'm not sure if it's still online, but it certainly has been in the past. So it sounds like from his presentation and his speech that he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. I imagine that he's very detailed orientated. One quote was, if I want the trucks loaded quickly, get out and help them load. I always imagine that while he... While being detailed orientated, his ability to step back and oversee things, I guess, you know, if, if all you're ever doing is running a party hire business, then you're able to sort of be the micromanager and, and get into all the small details. Um, I, I guess, you know, he's been able to out, outgrow that significantly, and I guess you do not get where he is by micromanaging every small step, and that probably comes back to having a good team and being able to trust certain people to do certain roles for you but I, I imagine he's got a, a very good handle on the detail that he needs to have a good handle on um, so he's obviously not going to see every individual sale that comes out of Carter's for example but I imagine he has a pretty good handle on on the detail that he needs to have the handle on and I imagine that detail that he has a handle on these days is is what's happening to the capital so that's the money that the business has produced what's happening with the debt where everything has been allocated that's that's what I imagine his his main focus is on these days but in the past the the detail he may may have needed to know was these there's an order here these trucks need to go out we need to get it out quickly I'm prepared to get down there and get my hands dirty so it's an interesting thing there and I, I I'm pretty confident I'm right at what I'm saying. So then he said they purchased the government purchased the government printing office that was getting privatised by the government. Reading between the lines, it sounded like the government couldn't find a buyer, and he said that directly that the that he was a preferred buyer because he had owned a small printing business in the past. So the government needed to have the right sort of buyer. It sounds like for the optics of it, and he gave some numbers on this. It's the only time in the presentation he gave some numbers, so I'm going to read them out. The assets on the balance sheet, now this is a government balance sheet, so so be sceptical, were 40 million. The purchase price, 20 million. The money we had in the bank was 2 million. Perfect, boxing well above my weight. So what is the point? The point is, the first thing I said, be bold. In my world, what does that mean? That means buy as big as you can, borrow as much as you can, and work the asset as hard as you can. It's a really interesting statement. I, f- I find this quite fascinating the the being bold but you know it makes sense but borrow as much as you can sort of flies in the face of conventional investment wisdom it's it's not typically what you hear in, in terms of the advice you know if you go to your authorized financial advisor that I, that I mentioned you should see at the start of the podcast they're not going to recommend to you that you borrow as much as you can and, and chuck it all into one thing and I bet that is not what you hear Graham Hart even advising your everyday person you know if you bunch bumped into him at the at a St Helier's takeaway for example um, he's probably not going to tell you to borrow as much as you can and chuck it all into one asset but you have to remember that he's not your everyday person I, I imagine to get from zero to nearly 10 billion in net worth on a self-made basis that there has to be some debt involved at some point my bet is that for him, it did not really feel like too much of a risk at the time. My bet is that while he understood academically that it was a risk, that he always felt, he always had an intuitive confidence that it made sense to be buying something that had 40 million in assets for 20 million. 
you know, he probably had, and he would have had a detailed understanding of that. He would have known the assets he was buying on 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 the the, the important assets he was buying anyway for forty million. And that the bit that really struck me was the work your assets hard. If I had to take one thing away from your presenta- from the presentation, and everyone will take different away different things away, it was the work the assets hard bit. And it, it made me sort of think about some of the things I do in a different light as well. And it makes sense, you know, if you think about it. All else being equal, the company that generates a higher return on its assets is going to generate a better return for its owners over the long term. In fact, over the short term as well, a higher return on assets is going to generate you a better return. So he then told a story about the printing office, about a colleague that went, I guess one of his lieutenants that that went to the night shift and found all the staff in the secret loft with a bar set up playing pool in the lounge and he said why does this matter stay close and i'm quoting directly stay close to whatever it is you're responsible for you cannot ever take your eye off the ball for some reason this reminds me of doing the night shift at the warehouse when i was at university we would literally do whatever we could to muck around and not do work i remember one conversation we had it was it went from one forever it was a bit along the lines of how much damage we could cause to the warehouse with in two minutes with the axes and the hardware section we were talking about strategies and and everything like that and one time we spent like a good hour rating the stock pictures of the ladies and the in the photo frames you know it shows how much time <laughs> can be wasted and and you could say that our managers at that time probably didn't have a good handle on on what we're up to Anyway, we're getting distracted again now. So anyway, he next goes, we built the business up, we added Whipcools and a few other businesses. And it shows just how much of another level he is on. I mean, I remember how big Whipcools seemed to me as a kid. I used to go to it in Dunedin and, you know, it was, it was a big store. It probably still is a big store. And to describe them as little businesses. Anyway, we cashed up and I was looking for bigger horizons. So bigger horizons, my reading between the lines here was that he was as big as he was probably going to get easily in New Zealand. And that is an issue when you compound money at high rates. And and when I say issue, it's not really an issue. I mean, it's such a first world problem. Compounding money at high rates is not really, it's not actually some something that someone has an, an issue with. It's not like a... It's not it's not like curing cancer or anything like that. But it is a fact that if you're swimming in the market the size of New Zealand and you're compounding money as aggressively and at the high rates that Graham Hart was, then eventually you're gonna need a bigger pool to swim in. And he said that this came in the form of Burnsfelp. So in and I'm quoting directly here, an Australian company embedded and embedded in the company was a global yeast business that I was very attracted to. I'm sitting down in New Zealand and I was like, there is a big world out there. How do I get to that big world? I can see what I can do. I can go and buy Burns Phil. He, he said it turned out that management had been less than forthcoming about the state of their affairs, which if you've ever seen a business sale, and I've seen a few now, it's not unusual. It's not unusual at all, actually. So my first board meeting, I'm quoting directly, the most important topic for the directors was what vintage of the wine that we should drink for lunch. He described, and this is always a, a classic thing you hear sort of famous investors talk about board meetings that the directors are often not acting in the best interests of the company. And what they do at board meetings is often an analogy for the rest of the company, which is the point he was making. So he described that the necessary restructuring of the company is, is a very, very tough time. He said that the tough experience taught him 
a lot of lessons for the next 20 years. And I guess the key thing here is that he was able to fight his way through it and it wasn't able to knock him out, which is what happens with a lot of setbacks in business. You know, you, you, it takes people out and, and he was able to get through. And he goes, when you've made an error of judgment, put your head down, put your shoulders to the wheel and put your ego in the back pocket. I'm not entirely sure I get the analogy there directly, but obviously I understand what he's saying is basically work hard and 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 keep moving forward. So then we bought Goodman and Fielder. We bought New Zealand Dairy Foods. The best way to control your costs is to sign the checks, keep a vigilant eye on your costs or whatever it is you're responsible for. And again, that comes back to the sort of detail, being orientating yourself in the right sort of detail, as I said before. So, and I'm quoting directly here, the business group that we own today, it is a reasonable size group. The way he says reasonable size there, it's sort of an acknowledgement that it is quite large, but I think also it sort of suggests that he's not part way done either. My bet is that at age 64, which is how old he is now, he feels that he is not part way done yet. I bet he still thinks he's got a long way to go in his career. It has a lot of packaging, think milk cartons and the like, it's food service, so think about Starbucks cups and McDonald's, and it is consumer packaging, think trash bags in your kitchen and foil for your potato. We have 300 million consumers in the US. It's a beautiful thing. It is a business of real scale. So it it goes back to that scalability again, as he's always found a way, and like any billionaire really, of, of scaling up. Um, of moving from that small business to the medium size, to the large, to the conglomerate, and, and so on. The global financial crisis was the most frightening period of my commercial life. Key thing during this time is that he was still able to take risks. During a time when the world was melting down, he, he saw an opportunity to swing for the fences with the purchase of a large food packaging company called Pactive, and he mentioned the the reputation in this that he'd already carried forward from prior engagements as standing in a good stead for the purchase of this business. And I'm quoting directly, the world is mount, melting down around us, and this is like a, like government print. This is us boxing well above our weight. But you know what? Yeah, this is an opportunity. Yeah, the world is melting down. We can deal with it. Yeah, it is bold. Yeah. We were thoughtful, yeah. Was it a risk? Yes, it was. We bought it. So even when the world was melting down, he was able to, to take that risk, take that, make that very calculated bet, and obviously it's something that's paid off for him. So to round things off, he talks about disruption and the changes that's likely to bring. This this bit surprised me, actually, because he's obviously invested in, in industries that you would consider to be consumer staples. Um, or at least companies that provide the services to consumer stable companies. So I find that quite interesting. He stresses the importance of getting on board with it as opposed to being getting left behind with it. He said it will redefine the world as we know it. He said there is no business that will not be affected by it. Do not become a blind victim of disruption rather than the beneficiary. In my view, he said, you're standing in, in, in front of a frontier of opportunity. So... This is where it, it, it wraps up. You know, he finishes with the talk about the disruption and the future and everything like that. So what to make of Graham Hart? He's obviously been successful on a staggering basis, probably to a level that no other New Zealand business person has achieved and undoubtedly has taken risks to get where he is at. So a lot of those risks, I imagine, involve debt levels that most people would not feel comfortable with. And interestingly enough, he has done this in areas that 
arenas that are easy to understand. It's not like he's inventing something or acting out on the cutting edge of the next newest thing, although his conversation about um, disruption suggests that he might be more than what he's letting on. So it is not like... <clears throat> he's buying businesses that we can all understand. And it's, it's quite true with a lot of the super rich is that they're actually involved in stuff that everyday people can wrap their heads around. So he's been bold... He's been opportunistic, and I imagine he is buying them his, his businesses at sensible prices, which is, of course, what we're trying to do in the stock market. So there's plenty of lessons from this presentation that you can apply to the stock market. And while it might be stuff that we can all understand, it's not something that we can all do. I think in his presentation, it probably seems quite simple and easy, you know, in the same way that tennis looks easy for Roger Federer. Just because we can understand it, it doesn't mean that we can all do it. Plenty of people take big risks in business and, and plenty fail. Even those that do not do, that that do succeed do not achieve it on the level that he has. And it's easy to say, oh, he has taken risks and he's got lucky, but I do not think that's the case. It's not luck. It's not luck to re- repeatedly make successful bold moves and continually reach a, a, a bigger scale over a long period of time. So, you know, 64 years old now, he started when he was 15. That's not luck. It's not luck at all. Um, he has proven the ability to scale, um, to give you a sense of the scale. He is bigger than the size of the recent government surplus, which, by the way, I do not understand why it's a bad thing to be in a surplus, but let's not go down that road. So what I saw in the presentation was someone at the top of his game, um, someone that really understands the details of what he's doing, and, and, and you could just tell that he's got a steely determination. So in terms of what is next for Graham Hart, is my, my bet is that he continues to do what he's done since he's 15 or 16 years old, and that's to compound and take risks, and I imagine you know, he'll continue to be successful in, in business going forward. Right, so that's the Graham Hart episode. I, I hope that you enjoyed it. I know it's something a bit different to what we normally roll out on the podcast, but thanks again for listening in. A reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice, and certainly what Graham's doing, maybe you shouldn't try it at home. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stopmarketmovers.co.nz or find it and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share with your friends. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 61 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 11th of October 2019. I'll see you all again next week.